Today's episode of the CDS Mac Podcast is brought to you by our good friends over at Roll Recovery. I'm back on my podcasting grind. I'm back on my running grind after 16-minute PR at the Berlin Marathon. But, you know, I'm just a couple weeks away from the New York City Marathon where I'll be pacing a high school friend of mine in what will probably be his first and last marathon. So getting to the starting line is going to be really important, and I've been using some Roll Recovery products to make it happen. And here's why I think you should be using them, too. A couple years back, runner Jeremy Nelson came up with the idea for the now famous rollers, and he really compiled some important factors into one product. The first was get the force of a massage into a roller. You've got all these other rollers out there that are pretty boring. This one gets in there nice and deep and has a very interesting feel to it. Number two, fits all body sizes and hits key muscle groups. Point number three, you know, it has a flushing effect that moves blood, tissue, and waste products to all the needed spots in the body. Number four, I think, is one of the most important ones. Make it portable. Mine I brought with me to Berlin, so it's been around the world with me. It's very easy to carry. You combine all these factors, and you get the rollers that are now popular with runners, cyclists, and endurance athletes of all levels. Personally, I'm a big fan of the R8. You know, I use it after my workouts. Sometimes I find myself using it right before I go to bed. I use the R3 on my foot when I'm typing away on a story or something at my desk. So I really recommend those. Check them out today, rollrecovery.com. Follow them on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Roll Recovery. My guest for today's show is 212 marathoner Aaron Braun, who trains with NAZ Elite. He's coming off a pretty big performance at the Chicago Marathon, where he ran 213 for 12th place overall. He was the third American across the finish line. So we discuss that race, and we also talk about how he almost quit the sport about a year ago, and eventually the path that he took to get back into full training with NAZ Elite and living in Flagstaff. So let's cue up the Google music that is being used in commercials and start the show. All right, now we welcome on Aaron Braun to the podcast. Aaron, I think we're less than a week from Chicago. How are the lo- how are the legs feeling? Uh, they're feeling better. Uh, the first first couple days were pretty rough. Uh, they've they've improved a lot since then. I still occasionally, when I'm walking around, feel some random thing that I mean wasn't even sore going into the race. So definitely enjoying my time off, and uh, yeah, recovery process will continue the next week. So what's that time off consist of for you? Um, I mean, uh, Ben usually gives everyone two weeks off completely. Uh, I met with him, and he said if I really wanted to, I could go out and run for 15 minutes or so. But, um, I mean, I, I, I like to stay active, and so it's almost kind of nice to have time away from running. It gives, gives me a little more energy to do some other stuff. Um, I, my last break, I, me and... My wife, Annika, climbs Humphreys this time. It's a little colder out, so probably won't do anything too crazy, but just, you know, spend a little more time with my daughters, and I already went and played tennis, maybe go on some bike rides and stuff like that, and just have some more some more active family time instead of being tired, tired old dad. <laughs> I wanted to debrief a little bit about Chicago and how that went for you. Um, because you were one of the stars of the broadcast for the first half of the race. You were clearly up in front and uh, dead center of, of everything. Uh, so I guess what were your initial thoughts finding yourself at the front of the race? Because 
part of me, like I saw one particular tweet, I think, uh, during the as the race was going on, and it made an interesting point about how there's so limited opportunities to market yourself as a runner, and I thought that was interesting, but at, at the same time, I think like in the moment, it's just that you have a plan and you're sticking to it, and I don't think you're actively thinking, oh, I need to get you know my club and and my sponsor out there right away, but it's you know it's something secondary that happens. So for you, what was it? What was behind the decision to be up in front? Um, yeah, I mean, I was I was a little surprised but not shocked. Uh, a couple of days before, in the hospitality room, they they had like kind of race recaps on previous years, and I was looking at the year before, and uh, yeah, they ran a lot of like five oh eights, five tens early on, and so uh, me and Ben had talked about you know our our main goal for this race was to try to PR and try to run as even splits as possible. And so I really wanted to run, uh, depending on the weather conditions, either either 210 or 211. Um, and so we had talked about, you know, the fastest that I would go through half marathon would be uh, 65.30, and then the slowest would be a, about what I came through, like 66 low. And so, yeah, just just wanted to run as even as possible. So five flats, 502, 503. Um, and got out and saw the, the lead truck had, um, had a time, like splits for every K, every mile, and then also like a projected finish time. And so after the first K, they flashed up like 310, 311. Um, and I knew that that was a little slower than five minute pace. And so I just went to the front and figured, you know, why not? I it probably won't last too long. I'll I'll enjoy my time leading the marathon and yeah, it definitely every every mile that went by, every five K that went by, I just kept thinking like, okay, at some point they're gonna go <laughs> flying by me and just being ready to try to keep my composure and keep the keep the pace going that I wanted to run. And yeah, it took a long time for that to finally happen and uh but it was it was a lot of fun. Um it was it was kind of surreal thinking about, you know, my last few years, I was almost out of the sport and wouldn't have been running anymore. And then all of a sudden I'm leading the Chicago marathon with, <laughs> with tens of thousands of people lining the streets. And I mean, they probably weren't cheering for me in particular, but I could at least tell myself that like they, they were, they wanted me to beat everyone. And so, yeah, it was, it was a fun experience, but also, also a little nerve wracking just, just knowing that I didn't want to get too excited because of that and then not have any mental energy and emotional energy for the second half of the race when it really matters. And so I hindsight, I wish I would have enjoyed it a little more and maybe like once or twice given like that Ryan Hall, like raised the roof a couple times mm -hmm. or something and just enjoyed it. But I, I didn't want to, didn't want to get too emotionally amped that early in the race. So that kind of ties into, and you answered part of listener Jeff Purdom. He sent in a question. He said, how did you mentally approach the race since no one wanted to, you know, run your pace early? And then you had to press the pace solo. So I guess that first mile takes through the internal monologue of how that played out for you. Yeah, it was, I mean, especially for a marathon, you just want it to feel real easy for a long time. Um, but you also want it to feel easy and be hitting your splits rather than, feel really easy and part of that is because you're running a little slow so yeah when I saw that when I saw that first K I was like well you know I'll go to the front <laughs> and 
but that's that's what was nice about it being a marathon is it wasn't really pressing the pace it was just running running comfortable and running the pace that I wanted to run instead of I mean you have such such a long way to go you can't really press the pace until late in the race is there anyone really talking in that pack? Because everyone is bunched up. Everyone seems pretty comfortable. Maybe there's a little bit of chatter among the Kenyans or about like, hey, maybe you get in front of me for this mile and stuff. But was the, was anyone really talking about how slow it was? Uh, not that I heard. Um, looking at the, I I I try not to look back, but looking at the pictures, um, there it looked like there was a couple of times that I I even had a tiny bit of a gap. Um, and then every now and then they would come come up on me, and I, I would think like, okay, now they're <laughs> they're finally about to about to catch up to me and pass me and get get going on their on their faster miles. But uh, they didn't they didn't do that until a lot later than I expected. And so, yeah, the only the only the only time uh, that I talked to anyone or anyone talked to me was late in the race when uh, Diego and I ran ran with each other for a mile or two around 19 or 20 miles. Was it also weird, I guess, I think on the broadcast, you, I, you could tell there was, I think, maybe a little bit of chatter when Cometo just all of a sudden just dropped back after 14 miles and everyone's like, what, what just happened? Because he was right at the front of the pack and then something must have happened with his ankle or, or, or something where he just kind of slowly started fading back and the you know the pack swallowed him and he was just limping behind the rest, the rest of you guys. I didn't notice that. No, I didn't see that at all. Yeah, that was that was one of the, the weird moments of the race. Is there also a little bit of a risk at the very beginning when, say, you know, it's a you know a, a, a slower mile that there's going to be that one you know warrior who wants just the, the TV time and he just sticks with you guys for for the first mile. Uh, there was there was someone that uh, like two minutes before the race started they they kind of let the masses come up right behind us and there was someone that kind of kind of weaved his way to the start line and you know i think like it's easy to spot because you know all of us are wearing singlets and have all our stuff and we all know each other and yeah there was just some guy with a a t-shirt on and he's like well you know we'll see what he does like he definitely could do that but i I don't think he kind of settled in and yeah so um it's a painful yeah, rest of the you, way after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You never, you never know what you're going to get in the marathon. So, um, so I highly recommend people read the less run story that was done on you before Chicago. But you mentioned it already. Can you take the listeners, I guess, through that process of how close you actually were to to hanging it up? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think uh, Jonathan Galt from Let's Run did a really good job. Uh, he talked to me a week before the race, and um, yeah, put it, put it on writing a lot better than I ever could. Um, but basically, uh, you know, I, I think I was having a, a pretty steady career. I, I ran pretty well on the track. Um, and starting to shift focus in the marathon. I ran a two twelve high in Houston of 2015, um, off of really conservative training, really conservative in the race. I negative split by over a minute and had a lot left left in the tank when I finished. And so, was just so excited about the 2016 marathon trials coming up thinking that basically I could be what, what Jared Ward ended up being like, you know, plenty of, plenty of people inside the elite running community knew who he was, knew he was talented. Uh, but in the general public, he was kind of an unknown and, you know, he, he runs amazing at the trials and then runs even better at the Olympics. Um, but, 
unfortunately, I I'd never really dealt with injuries, um, but after Houston, I started having hip issues, um, and it was it was something that never completely derailed my training. I could I could continue to train through it, uh, but it was something that was definitely holding me back, um, and I would I would try to you know I would run a season and then try to take some time off and let it heal and uh it was just it just never got much better and so it was something that I was constantly dealing with and eventually in in near the end of the year in 2015 I I finally had to start cutting back my mileage just because it was bothering me so much and then uh the final straw was I ran the rock and roll Phoenix half marathon uh one month before the trials as kind of a a tune-up to see both how my hip felt and how my training had been going. And I ran really poorly and knew that, you know, if I, if I felt tired and weak at the end of a half marathon, how was I going to get through a a full marathon? Um, And on top of that, my wife was due uh, with our second child the day of the marathon trials. And so it wasn't, it wasn't worth it for me to go and, not make the team or or even be top 10 and potentially miss the birth of my second child. So, uh, it, it, but it was probably the best decision for me anyway, because I was just continuing to train through something that I shouldn't have trained through, uh, because it was the Olympics, uh, the Olympic trials. And so I finally, uh, decided to not run the trials, took, uh, probably two months off, did a, like two hours of rehab every day, trying to make it better. Um, started to figure out a little bit what it was. Um, it's, it's a hip impingement. And so it was just like a functionality thing that I just have to, I can't just roll out of the bed and go for a run anymore. I have to do uh, a bunch of what I call my old man exercises to, <laughs> to get my ready, get my body ready to run. And so, um, started coming back uh but i had been you know just i think the the disappointment of not only not making the team but not even being able to be on the start line and going through that long period of being injured and i was training on my own i just i just got really depressed and like um i i tied too much of my personal uh value and identity into running even though you know it's so much more important for me to be a good dad and a good husband. Um, I, I got too caught up in how good I was as a runner. And so I was just so depressed that I, I needed to find an escape and basically get out of running. Um, and so, yeah, uh, in spring of 2016, I started applying for a bunch of different coaching jobs. Um, and yeah, I had, had one lined up in Arkansas and, uh, if it wasn't for this little rinky dink 5k that I ran off of almost no training <laughs> that I, I just, it, it really got me back to enjoying running and enjoying racing and realized like I still have a lot of talent left. Um, and so that, that drive back down that race was in Fort Collins where I grew up, um, driving back down to Alamosa is a long five hour drive. It really just made me realize um, you know, running's been been tough for, for for me this last year and a half, but I wasn't quite as ready as I thought it was to let it go. Um, and I didn't I didn't want to, you know, be be coaching kids and trying to help them with their own running, and in the back of my head wondering like, 
how how much faster I could have done, how much more I could have done in running. And so me and my wife made the decision that um, we still need we still needed needed to make a change because uh, what I had been doing wasn't working anymore. And so uh, we called up uh, I called up Ben Rosario and asked if he might have any any room on the team. He didn't he didn't say for sure that he would, but if I could get healthy and uh, the right things went into motion that he would love to coach me and love to have me on the team. And that was all that we needed to hear to, to move back to Flagstaff, which we, we always loved and never, never really wanted to leave in the first place. When I mentioned to Ben in the episode that I did with him, when you joined the team, uh, I felt like you've been doing this for, for so long because your, your career has been so successful since your, your days at, at, at Adam State. So did you feel, I guess, when you made that pitch, I guess what was part of it because Ben could have, you know, taken you or he could have, you know, spent the money on uh, probably an NCA 10K star or something like that. Um, I mean, I know, I know Ben really well and I know that he loves the marathon more than anything else. Um, and so that was my big pitch to him was that, you know, I've, I've done, I've done the fast track stuff. I've, I've had a successful career at the shorter distances um, but I, I, I think I had told him even before all of that, like what my training was like and what my race was like at Houston and kind of, kind of knew that like we, I have unpa- untapped potential. And so I basically tried to, tried to pitch the offer of him being the one to kind of be able to unlock that untapped potential. And then I think he also mentioned that. This, I guess, was the first buildup in a while where he managed to get you back to, I guess, 100 miles a week. Did any part of that sound daunting? Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it, it was basically uh, kind of having to having to be unafraid of potentially risking being hurt again. Um, when I when I came back, I mean, I so I probably hadn't run a 100 mile a week since uh, November of 2015. Um, and it had found that, you know, I, I was able to run pretty well off of 70, 80 miles a week, not doing any doubles or anything like that, keeping the long runs under 20 miles. And we did that all fall while I wasn't officially on the team yet, but was kind of testing things out. And, you know, he just, he just had a really great long-term plan of, you know, let's not, let's not run a marathon in uh, spring of 17. Let's wait until you've you've kind of come back and been healthy for over a year. Um, we we were planning on doing a little bit more mileage in the spring, uh, but I had a couple of little things that popped up. Um, but then uh, I started seeing John Bald, uh, maximum mobility guys a little more often, and that's made a huge difference in just being able to manage everything. I don't think it's, it's something that I I don't think I'll ever – I mean, a lot of people go through this as you get older. You 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 won't ever be as young as you used to be. You gotta adjust as you get older, and so um, it's something that I'll always probably have to manage. Uh, but it's it's not so time consuming that it that it makes it not worth it for me. And so um, yeah, it's been really nice to to do those big mileage stuff again and really train for the marathon and know that, you know, this was just the tip of the iceberg. We'll be able to do hopefully more and as long as I'm able to stay healthy in the future. 
how would you characterize the state of U.S. marathoning right now? Because we have Galen, who's up in the front, and behind him, there's, I guess he just ran like 209, but there's a little bit of a drop-off in time from 209, and then there's a lot of guys in that 211 to 214 range. Meb and Dathan are, you know, they've got, they're still active for, for now, mm-hmm. Meb at least for now, but and but it doesn't seem like they're going to PR anymore, and their best days could be behind them. Dathan Phil, you know, is pretty optimistic about possibly someday doing it. But so we're looking at a time when maybe our two and three guys for the next Olympics are in that cluster in that two eleven to two fourteen range. Um, is it really going to be an? Is it you know that competitive for the next trials? You you, you see it? We still got a couple years to go, but I mean, it's looking like it's going to be another unpredictable two three battle. Yeah, I um I think you know you look at so many guys that have run really well on the track already and, and, and guys that are still really young, like uh, Chris Derrick and Luke Pesquedra and Diego and, you know, Scott, my teammate about to run the, his first marathon ever. I think, um, you know, I mean, Luke's already run 210. I think the hardest part for people is just to, to be consistent in the marathon and to be able to, you know, run within a minute or two of their PR every time. And so, but I, I, I definitely think that over the next couple of years that, there's going to be, I mean, I, I'm also really excited. Again, I'm a big fan of Jared. I think his his 211 uh, at the Olympics, I think that's worth like a 208 or 209. So I really think on the right day, he's going to he's gonna bust a really fast one. Um, but yeah, I think that uh, there's just so many really good, talented guys that have, have run really well on the 10K and cross country and, and half marathon, but, you know, haven't either had their had their top day at the marathon yet or haven't had the opportunity to prove it themselves yet. Um just need a little bit more experience. Um I know after after my first marathon it was just a horrendous experience but so humbling and such a great learning tool that um you know you, you learn so much more through through bad races than you do some of the good ones. So I, yeah, I really I really think that by the time the trials roll around uh, to be in that top three, you're going to be at least you're going to have to be at least capable of going like two ten low or faster to make the team. Do you kind of see yourself in that cluster? Because the article has that one line, which I, I thought was a little strange at the end, where it's like you probably won't go to the Olympics in 2020. But I guess who doesn't picture themselves in like that USA kid if you're doing this as as your daily job? Yeah, it's it's been one of those things that it's taken me time to really believe that again. Um, I, I, I really truly believed it, uh, when I was running the 10k in 2012, I just missed by a couple spots and then was, was believing it again for the marathon in 2016. Um, and then after, after all my injury stuff, I definitely went through a phase where like, yeah, I'm definitely not making the team. Um, but I, I wanted, I just wanted to make the trials again since I missed out on it in 2016. Um, but now, I'm definitely starting to believe again, but I, I think of it as, you know, just like any other race, you can't, you can't think too much about the finish line when you're in the first 5k or 10k of the marathon. Um, and so for me, it's definitely a goal and a dream that's in the back of my head, but because it's so far away still, I'm, I, I got, I got through this, this first check mark. Okay. I got through Chicago and ran, not a great time, but a solid time, and I, I feel like I'm I'm still healthy even after the race. I was I was a little worried that you know I might I might run the race and just 
be broken again and that'll be the end of my career. But um, so far, I feel that that's not the case. And, you know, I've gotten through that first check mark and now I'll, the the plan will likely to be to run as many, mar- not as many marathons, but probably a spring and fall marathon uh, just about every year until the trials. And, you know, hopefully can just continue to see good signs of improvement every time. And if that's the case, then um, I believe that I would have a shot at making that team. Keep that dream alive. Uh, exactly. So we're going to move on to some listener questions, but first we'll do uh, three recovery tips brought to you by Roll Recovery. The company was founded in Boulder, Colorado with one major goal, to design and build revolutionary products to help people recover faster and improve the quality of their life. They have thoughtfully designed products to keep you moving. Be happy, be healthy. Check them out today, rollrecovery.com. So, Aaron, what are three recovery tips you might have to share with the masses, uh, you know, whether they're prepping for a marathon or they've got cross-country season going on right now? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, use use those rec- uh, recovery rollers. Use the roll recovery, use the foam roller, use foot log, whatever, whatever you got your, to your disposal. Um, that's one thing that it, it's not the most glamorous thing to do. It's not what, for me, it's, it's, I have to do it after, uh, each easy run. It's not what I want to do. I'd rather just sit on the couch and space out, but, uh, it makes a big difference on not having those little annoying things like a, a foot cramp or something going on in your quad popping up. Um, and so that you can continue to train at a high level, I think that's huge. Um, another one is is definitely trying to eat within half an hour of finishing your run. Uh, for me, I always go for a good recovery smoothie with some protein powder and yogurt and berries. And uh, but you know what, find what works for you that you'll crave it after a run, and it's also healthy for you. Um, and then a big one for me is trying. I, I know for a lot of people. Uh, it's hard to do, but trying to stay off your feet as much as possible. Um, and so whenever you can, you know, if you're working on your feet all day, try to try to sit on sit for a couple minutes whenever you can, because I, I, I think that makes a huge difference in being able to recover for your next run. Those all sound perfect. Uh, so let's do some uh, some listener questions that were sent in now. Uh, so number one from Deerfoot95 on Twitter did running in front at Chicago help fuel the fire for your next big race? Uh, I think so. Uh, yeah, because more than anything, it was just fun. Um, and that's that's one of the things that's really, uh, really made me love running again. Uh, my wife has had to remind me a couple times when I've been really tired in training and questioning, oh, man, why did I continue to do this? And it's like, well, you don't have to do this. Like, <laughs> do this because it's fun. And so that that really helps uh, to keep that perspective and uh, have a positive attitude even when, you know, you're really tired or the weather's crap or, or anything like that. So definitely uh, having fun, being in the lead uh, will definitely serve as great motivation to to continue to train hard and, and maybe, who knows, in one marathon be able to lead and lead all the way to the finish line. Scott Smith chimes in with, why didn't Adam State run at Dellinger that one year? <laughs> uh that's a great that's a great question um so yeah uh, it was the year after galen had graduated actually and we had a really great team it was it was me uh and two other guys that 
all eventually ran under 1340 in the 5K. And then another two to four guys that uh, ran under 14 minutes in the 5K. So we had, I, I, in my opinion, the best, the best team in the country. And uh, Oregon didn't allow us to run at Bill Dellinger because they were afraid of being <laughs> beat by Adam State. So that's something that I uh, I gave Danny Mercado, Mercado a hard time for for a while, and he couldn't do anything but but say yeah yeah we didn't we were afraid of you guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, we had the story about the magic of Division Two running, and it starts with that label about how like I didn't choose Division Two. Oh um, yeah. And so I guess like you shared the story on on Twitter, and uh, that tagline i guess which was dropped recently i guess what did you what did you think about that tagline i guess maybe the way the author i guess put that whole uh story together what is is that an experience that you experienced similarly oh oh yeah for sure uh i i was in in school when that tagline came out and i absolutely hated it um <laughs> because i mean it, it makes it sound like oh i chose division two because i was afraid of going to division one I wanted to go to Division One. I. I really wanted to. I grew up in Fort Collins. I wanted to go to Colorado State, uh, but they weren't inter- interested in me, and so I didn't choose Division Two. I chose Adam State, and so and that was, I mean, that was the best program that I could have gone to, and uh, I got my because we we went to Colorado State's home meet two times in my career, and we perfect scored them both times, so I was able to to show them that they, they missed out on me. And, uh, but I was kind of glad that they did because I ended up at Adam state. So I went to Alamosa for a couple days. I think it was when I shot, you know, a documentary with flow track in 2013. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I guess like the one thing was for me, and I've said this on, on the show before I'm a city boy. And so <laughs> going out there oh, yeah. was totally different. Uh, things were closed <laughs> at like 8 p.m. We were we were struggling to find yeah. you know food on the first day, um, so it was it was interesting it, for you. I guess would you characterize it really as taking the values and the principles from Once a Runner and just you know dedicating your life for four or five years to chasing that? Yeah, uh, I I think I mean Alamosa is probably the closest thing that you can get to kind of living in Kenya, living that Kenyan lifestyle. Uh, you're in the middle of nowhere. There's not a city. I mean, the the closest, if you can call it, next biggest city is Pueblo, and that's two hours away, and that's still not a very big city. So, really, it's Albuquerque, three hours away, or Denver is four hours away. Uh, but you're at seven and a half thousand feet. You don't, you never get too much snow. Um, so yeah, all while you're there in school, all you do is is run, recover, and go to school. Um, <laughs> But the 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 hazard in that and what I discovered through my injury is and it was something that I always knew, but luckily I hadn't had to deal with. But if you if you're not able to run, then there, yeah, you're going to go insane because there's nothing else <laughs> to do there. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, I hopped in a workout for in whatever the workout was. I lasted like maybe two minutes because one of the altitude and uh, it was at Pinos Creek, I believe it was, and. It was just, oh, nice. oh, it was, it was rough. Um, and so, yeah, for me, there's minimal running. And at the same time, I was like, I need my skyscrapers like ASAP. <laughs> um, yeah. Next question that was sent in, McCurdy Train wants to know, what was your nutrition st- strategy and uh, how did you execute that plan during uh, uh, Chicago? In Chicago? Yep. Um, yeah, so I took my chance. 
that new the new uh mm-hmm. drink stuff that just came out after sub two. Um and I definitely didn't enjoy the taste too much. It's not it's kind of a weird texture. It is, uh, but it they is. have two they have two uh different ones that uh one sixty they're one they're one sixty and three twenty and I think that's how many calories are in each one. Mm-hmm. And so the three twenty is very very thick and so I didn't want to be taking that the whole time. And so I switched from one sixty to three twenty every five K. And so uh and then I also took a caffeine pill at twenty five twenty five K. So that was that was all that I took the whole race. That's interesting. Worked, I I never heard of yeah. like the switching on and off from the one sixty to the three twenty. Yeah, I I felt like uh I wanted I wanted more calories throughout the race, so I wanted the three twenties at some point. I didn't want I didn't want to go with one sixties the whole time. Uh but I, I thought that doing three twenties the whole time would be a little too much. And so yeah, it it worked out well for me. All right, now we're gonna move on to some fun questions that I prepared here. So what was the hardest workout in the build up to Chicago? Oh gosh. Um Probably, I mean, some of the one early ones, just because I wasn't in shape yet, I can't, I can't think of the specifics right off the top of my head. But in the marathon-specific training, um, it actually went probably the best. Uh, but my 16-mile steady state, uh, going into that weekend and into that workout, I was a little too stressed, and so that was probably the most difficult, just because I was. I was way too high strung and nervous about the workout that uh I just wasn't in a great place mentally like my wife and I ended up getting in a fight beforehand and uh then when the workout went well after the workout I was like you know I'm I'm putting way too much uh stress on myself I'm putting way too much pressure on this this race and this workout I need to kind of chill and uh ease ease off the pressure a little bit and uh I was able to do that and that that made the even some really really hard workouts after that um a lot more manageable just because I was in a much better place mentally. What's the funniest story you have about balancing being a dad and then being a professional runner because I imagine there's you know some strange wake up calls in the middle of the night. <laughs> mhm. Um I mean luckily my my wife does most of the night uh calls and so uh when when Mackenzie was first born I would tell people that uh when Mackenzie wakes up crying uh my wife Annika gets up to to help her but then when I hear Annika crying then it's my cue to come up <laughs> and help her um but yeah it, it's a lot of fun um I guess I don't know if they're funny stories but almost kind of sad stories when Mackenzie really wants to play with me and I'm too tired <laughs> from training and so I'll just have her like jump on me or something like that and just I don't know pass, <laughs> pass the time doing doing something that I can put as least effort into <laughs> as possible like pushing her on a swing or something like that so I definitely feel bad that I'm I'm too much of a lazy dad sometimes but I I try to make up for it when I do have that extra energy that's totally okay because I have a friend of mine who I think just ran it was just training for his first marathon and uh, he, I guess, like has like two kids or something like that, and he, uh, I guess, just did his like first eighteen miler, and he got home, he was dead, 
and he's just you know sent the kids to his in-laws because he's like I, I I can't play with anyone right now so yeah. I, yeah I guess it's a universal you know father fatherly pain that goes along with marathon training <laughs> um next question is I'm seeing a lot of these thank you med posts on uh Twitter what's your favorite med memory uh yeah I I posted mine uh so after uh after my debut marathon so that was that was 2014 I had raced against Meb in Houston half where I ran my half marathon PR and he won that race um and we talked a little bit uh, after that race about my debut marathon was going to be in LA he was getting ready for Boston and he was just coming off of uh the New York marathon where mm-hmm. he actually ran really bad. Yeah. Um, he ran 220 or something like that. I think that's the one that he finished uh, holding hands with Mike Cassidy. Mm-hmm. And so my, he was in LA after the race when I ran really bad and I was really disappointed. Um, you know, I was building up the race as, you know, I was going to have this great debut marathon and be America's next marathon star or whatever. And uh, I was just heartbroken after the race to have run so poorly. Um, and he was there, and he just, you know, told me, you know, it's bad marathons happen. He's, I've done a ton of marathons, and my last one in New York was bad. Like, sometimes it's just a bad day, and um, unfortunately for you, it was, your, it was your first one. But but don't give up on it. Don't, don't think that you're not going to be a good marathoner. I think you're going to do really well. And it was just really encouraging. And then a month later, he goes out and wins Boston. and it was just it hit his words combined within his actions were just incredible to like okay yeah i i need to stay positive and and believe that i can do this because anything is possible this is going to be a tough one who's on your mount rushmore of adam state cross country runners oof gosh um you can include yourself so that'll if it makes it easier to put one to take up one spot <laughs> no no um <laughs> i mean i would i i would probably do it less as um you know the best runners ever at adams but more so uh my teammates that made my college experience unforgettable mm-hmm. um and i'd have to put uh my roommate Brian Medigovich. Uh we we lived together for just about all five years. Um and he was always uh a great great teammate and great friend and I still talk to you together. Uh talk to you this day. Um another would be Lavina Molenbach, uh now Kabatsky. Uh she was she was super friendly. We uh me and Brian always joked about that she was our mom in college uh she would she would take great care of us and it was always super encouraging um ryan mcniff would probably be another one uh he was uh our our first ever recruit me and brian both hosted him and he ended up coming up and had a lot of great great memories with him um and then probably reuben uh Ruben Way. Uh he won he won NCAA cross country my fifth year, which I still kinda hold against him because that was supposed <laughs> to be my year to win. Uh second. So it's the previous two years and then he goes and steals my thunder. But but that's okay because he, he made us a better team, uh being able to be be better than me and win that national title. 
That's a strong and, and heartfelt Mount Rushmore you put together. And uh, <laughs> I'm sure, like, uh, I don't know, it could cause controversy, I guess, within uh, the Adam State community. <laughs> yeah, uh, but that, that, yeah, exactly. That doesn't mean that I didn't love all my other teammates. So right. <laughs> there's, only, there's only room for four spots. Exactly. Um, and I guess uh, what's his, uh, Scott Smith wanted a, a Broncos prediction out of you. Uh, man, I, I wish I was a little more optimistic. Uh, their defense is incredible, uh, but I just I have trouble believing in their offense. So uh, maybe nine and seven, ten at six at best, but no more than one playoff game likely. That's that's pretty good. <clears throat> um, all right, the final two, uh, final three questions. We added one recently that we're gonna do with all our guests. So we we went through the nice. Let's run article. What's the worst thing you've read about yourself or heard someone, you know, say about you on Let's Run? <laughs> Ooh, uh, are you able to use censorship on this? Yeah, yeah, I could probably bleep, bleep something out. <laughs> okay, yeah, because I was I was just actually telling this story a little while ago. So it was it was after it was my last ever uh, race for Adam State. Uh, it was indoors in Albuquerque, uh, and we were hosting the meet. Um, and I was the the anchor on our on our DMR team and brought us back to win the national title. And the last 50 meters or so, I was popping my jersey to try to pump up the home crowd and get us ready oh, no. for day two to, to try to win the national title. And so later that week, later that week, um, on the Let's Run message boards, uh, someone said was talking about me and and called me a Down syndrome fuckface. Oh no. <laughs> So that's that's definitely the best that I've ever seen. Oh man, that's rough. Yeah, yeah there's <laughs> a lot of mean things that are said on there, and it's yeah. it's hard yeah. because it's like you know you you did the story with John, and John's a, John's a great guy. Uh, Weldon and and Robert are, are also nice guys, and it's just it's so hard to separate you know th- those guys from the anonymous you know keyboard warriors that oh, they yeah. have on on the board. No. But but I, I mean, I figure you're not doing something right if there's not somebody out there that's pissed off at you. So right. I, I didn't, I didn't mind. Yeah. All right. And then the last two that we've done with every guest so far is if you could go on a run with anyone in the world from you know history or whatever, um, anywhere in the world, your favorite place, who would it be, and where would this run take place? Assuming that they could hold, you know, a conversational pace with you. Okay. Um. Gosh. Yeah. That's. That's really hard. That was that was one I listened to some of the other podcasts and yeah, that was one of the ones that I wanted to prepare for a little bit more for this question. Um gosh. Um as corny as it sounds, I'd probably say growing up the the person that I loved and idolized the most was John Elway, being a big Bronco fan. Okay. Um and so yeah, I'd probably uh, choose to run with him and ask him all about his both playing days and then now as the GM of the Broncos I'd probably uh, give him a hard time for some of the picks that he's made and uh, ask him to continue to do a little bit better um, <laughs> and then I, I don't know where maybe uh, I, I guess maybe just circling the, the grass of Mile High Stadium I guess that would be that would be fitting to, to do a run with him there it's see, I think that would be 
it, it sounds like it would be a runner's world article. It's like meet the man who led the Chicago Marathon for a while, and if you drop that quote <laughs> in there, maybe it would get the attention of John Elway, and he'd invite you out yeah. for you know for a game. Oh no, who knows? Yeah. Maybe if we get yeah. enough people to tweet at the Broncos or something, we can make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can always hold. Yeah, and then the last one, not running related, you get 25 shots from half court, regulation size, I guess, basketball court, and uh, if you make one, you win $25 million. If you make none, you do 25 years in jail. Would you attempt the shot? Yeah, this this was definitely the easiest question. No doubt, no. Uh, <laughs> exactly. There's no chance. Maybe, maybe previously when I played more back, basketball, uh, but I just I bought a house with a basketball hoop, and judging by my horrendous free throw percentage, there's no there's no chance that I would make one of those shots. <laughs> yeah, it's a smart answer, and I, I feel like anyone who says yes is just out of their mind. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Aaron, thanks a lot for taking the time. So you're in Louisville right now, right? Yes. Yeah. I'm so uh, how are you feeling about the, the team? Yeah, I mean, I'm with the NEU women's team. Uh, the the men's team is about to run Wisconsin in a couple hours. I think they're gonna they're in unbelievable shape. They did they did a, a steady state a couple weeks ago that I don't know I could even do right now. So uh, they're I think they're gonna they're gonna crush it and they're gonna beat uh, my boy Marty Hetter's Syracuse team. <laughs> That's my prediction. And uh, the women are looking great. They've improved so much over the last year. Uh, they're out here in Louisville and pre-nats, and I think they're gonna do really well uh, tomorrow and hopefully get some points that'll help them qualify and come back in November. Awesome. That sounds good. So we wish you the best of luck and uh, yeah, we'll catch, we'll catch you sometime maybe in the in the spring or whenever you get back to, to racing, we might cross paths. Awesome. Sounds good. That interview was brought to you by Roll Recovery. Check them out, rollrecovery.com. I can't stress it enough. If you are in the middle of your cross-country season or you've still got time to train for your fall marathon, it's important to show up to the starting line healthy and recover. And these products will do the trick. I recommend the R8. You know, it's it gets in there nice and deep. Their motto is dig deeper, and it does that. So check them out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Roll Recovery. That does it for this week's episode. I am th- very excited for next week's episode. So I'm assuming we'll try and get Scott Smith in the next couple days as he puts the final touches on his training for the Frankfurt Marathon. And you're hearing it here first. Next week, Marathon Investigator. That's right, Derek Murphy, the famous guy who runs his own website, cracking down on people who cheat during marathons, cut the course. He will be coming on the podcast next week, and I am super pumped about that episode. I'm going to try and get the answer to a lot of questions like how he gets it done, how much time he spends on cracking down on these marathon cases. So get ready for that one. It's going to be really good. And yeah, subscribe on iTunes, leave a five-star review, give me some feedback, let me know who you want to see on the show, and take your friend's phone, do the same exact thing. This has been your host, Chris Chavez, wishing you happy and healthy running.